So if you guys have Bibles with you, um, please open them. We're, we've been in a series in 1 Corinthians, so open them to 1 Corinthians chapter 4. If you don't have a Bible, we will have the text on the screen. Um, let's pray before we begin. God, I pray that right now, through your word, you would speak to your people, that you would encourage and correct us, that you would, you would lift up and bring down, that uh, you would convict of sin and comfort and brokenness. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, one time I was, uh, so I used to play in a band and, and we used to tour around. And um, there was this one time where I, I came home unexpectedly. I had like this random three days off, and so we drove all night, and I got home, and it was like 5 a.m. or so, and I was, I was like super dead tired, and the only thing on my mind was to get to my bed and go to sleep. And so I'm just dragging my suitcase up to the front door, and, and I open the front door, and it only opened like two inches and hit something. I was like, what's, what's going on? So I'm just like trying to push the door open, and when I finally got it open to a gap where I could kind of get in there, I looked down, and it was pushing against a human body. That's what was blocking it. This body was not dead. <laughs> this body was sleeping quite heavily, as if dead. And it took me a second to adjust to what I was seeing, because to my horror, every inch of my downstairs was covered in likewise passed out people and the remnants of what was unmistakably a rave were everywhere there were mirror balls there were things hanging there were glow sticks that's the telltale sign there were ashtrays full of cigarettes bottles and other rave paraphernalia and it became clear to me what had happened is is my my roommate i i owned the house and rented to him his name's john thought that I was not coming back and threw a rave. And so John is sitting there with glow sticks, and he's like, oh, this is great. Matt's not coming back. We can do whatever we want. Everybody's like, yay, he's not coming back. But I came back, and that was the end of John's time in my house, and possibly on earth no one's ever seen him again. I'm kidding. He's still out there throwing raves somewhere. <laughs> John cared for my house like I wasn't coming back. Did whatever he wanted with it. I fear that often, as God's people, we can care for God's house, the church, as if he's not coming back. A lot of the time, we can completely forget about that whole kingdom of God, return of Christ thing, and get very, very concerned with the sorts of things you would be concerned about if Jesus was not coming back. Okay, For instance, a lot of the time we can focus, get very myopic on using the success metrics of the world. Instead of saying, hey, are we doing a good job as a church? Are, are people coming to faith? Are the, the broken getting whole in the gospel, are we forming community, we say, how much do we grow, how much do we give, right? Now, those things are important to plan, but they are not success metrics, and sometimes they replace God's success metrics of what the church is supposed to do. All of us are aware of times when church leadership have abused trust. 
either in how they've treated people, abused their position, or used church funds. Taking care of God's house like he's not coming back, like they're not going to have to answer. A lot of the time, we've, I'm sure a lot of us have seen this too, is you can get people who run a church like it's their own personal kingdom to do with as they please. It's there to build up their prestige, there to build up their reputation, and they're acting like Christ is not coming back. And that was the problem in the church at Corinth as well. These are people who were running the church any which way, doing whatever they want. They're divided, they're, 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 they're uh, you know, living loose and crazy and all this stuff. They are managing God's house like, like the owner's not coming back. But, G, but Paul tells us right here in verse 5, Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. This whole text is, is, is saying to manage God's house like the owner is coming back. Now let's just read through the text. We're going to look at it big picture. That You're going to see that this is what's called inductive development. It's this, goes to this, goes to this, because Jesus is coming back, okay? So verse 1. This is how one should regard us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mystery of God. Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found faithful. But with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself, for I am not aware of anything against myself, but I am not thereby acquitted. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, right? So he, he piles four arguments and then the therefore do not pronounce judgment before the time before the Lord comes. They're, the way that they are to conduct themselves in the church, in God's house, is in light of the fact that the owner's coming back. Manage it like the owner's coming back, okay? How do we do that? We see three ways here. Lead like Jesus is coming back. Follow like Jesus is coming back. Judge like Jesus is coming back. Lead like Jesus is coming back. Follow and judge. So first of all, lead like Jesus is coming back. When we look at verse 1, he says, this is how one should regard us as servants of Christ. Now, the us there is Paul and Apollos and Cephas, the very guys who they are half-worshipping, right? They've split themselves into factions. And he says, don't, don't look at us as the end in ourselves, but as, as what? As under Christ's authority. This this word for servant here, there are two garden variety words in Greek, doulos and diakonos, both mean servant. That's not this word. This word is huperitas. And huperitas is a specific kind of servant that was empowered by their master. Right? This is someone who is under authority but carries authority. Okay? So leading, the way that, they, that, that, that we are to lead in the church is under Christ's authority and also trustworthy with the gospel. He says, regard us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. That's a, another word for a servant. It's the word oikomenus, and that is a, a household manager. This was the servant who was in charge of all the goods of the house and also had to make sure that the goods made their way to the household, okay? And he says they're stewards of what? the mysteries of God. That's Paul's speak for the gospel. God's mysteries are the open variety. 
You put them out in the sunshine, look at them, and they're still a mystery. One plus one plus one equals one. Jesus is fully God, fully man. Huh? Right? So, so leading like Christ is coming back is to lead under Christ's authority and to lead in a way that's trustworthy with the gospel. Now, this idea, you notice what he, how he's describing leadership. Servants. That's a complete flip around from how we do leadership on planet Earth, isn't it? Sharon and I just watched this uh, documentary, We Work. Has anyone seen this thing? So it's about the company We Work, and it was it, the way the company was structured is you had this one highly charismatic guy who kind of founded the thing, and, and as the company grows, it's this, it's this pyramid where the people at the bottom, and you, know, you go up and up levels till you get to this one guy at the top who he is part Messiah, part, you know, lawgiver, and the guy who takes the best of everything. He had the best office. He had, you know, the biggest paycheck. He was this guru that, you know, everyone's just looking to give us vision, tell us how to live. It's like, dude, you rent desks, you know, and, and, and everyone's looking to him like, like, like he's the Dalai Lama or something like that, right? His word is law. He's this top of the pyramid guy, and he's sort of doling out vision and benefits to those below him. And this is, this is how a lot of organizations look. And that, when we say leader, that's what we think of. We think of Jeff Bezos, and you know, we think of you know, your four-star generals, or, or what have you. In Christian leadership, leading like Jesus is coming back, what did our king do? The night before he was crucified, he washed his disciples' feet, didn't he? Take that pyramid. The leader isn't here. The leader is, it's an upside-down pyramid. The leader's at the bottom, right? Christian leadership, biblical leadership, is not the top of a pyramid. A Christian leader is not a big boss or a CEO or a guru. It's one who leads under Christ's authority. All, like, as we're, we're going, we're, we're, we're getting our governors together and the leaders of the church, and, you know, I, I could possibly be one of them. Like, we're only empowered to do what Christ has authorized. There's a whole raft of, of, of restrictions in the Bible of what we can and can't do. We must lead only under Christ's authority. Worship leaders, right? What, what Joe's been doing for us, what the Orochas usually do for us. You're not empowered to do whatever you want. We can only worship God the way God says he wants to be worshipped, right? So, you know, if you want to burn human children to God's honor, you can't do it. That, no, that's a thing. Look in the Bible, guys. God had to say, no, not like that. That's not what I've authorized you to do. And then trust, being trustworthy with the gospel. That's really key with leadership. Our elders are like part of their charge. They're not elders yet, but, but part of their charge is to make sure that this little church is trustworthy with the gospel. That, first of all, we are carefully reading the Bible, right? We, it is anyone who teaches at this church needs to spend a lot of time and effort making sure we only say what the Bible says. Right? We are not going to do a diving board sermon where you, 
You read the text at the beginning, and then you say things that have nothing to do with it, and really what you're getting is sort of the life wisdom of whoever's speaking. And life wisdom is fine, but we can't say, thus says the Lord. Right? We've got to be trustworthy with the gospel to lead like Jesus is coming back. But there's a flip side to that. Not only do we need to lead like Jesus is coming back, we need to follow like Jesus is coming back, and that goes for me and other leaders the same as, as anybody else. Now you notice, he says in verse 1, this is how one should regard us. So he's not only talking about how they are to lead, but how they are to follow. He's saying, don't regard us as gurus and whatever they're doing, but to regard them as those who have Christ's authority and, and who are responsible for teaching the gospel. So this concept of following leadership that's empowered with Christ's authority is something that, like a lot of people think, well, the New Testament church was sort of like this hippy-dippy, spontaneous thing. Nobody had a plan or a structure. That's really not what you see when you look at the book of Acts, when you look at the pastoral epistles, when you look at the Old Testament. Remember, these folks were Jews. There was a, a highly structured uh, worshiping community. But you look in the Bible, there's offices, there's ordination, there's councils, there's all sorts of highly structured things because they were trying to, they were trying to do a good job with the authority they've been entrusted with, right? Like, like that's what church government is all about. I know that's the fun stuff to talk about is church government, but it's an attempt to say, like, Jesus has entrust us, entrusted us with authority so those of us who are part of the church need to follow Christ's authority. It, you know, a lot of the time, we, we follow Christ's authority in the church until it's inconvenient, until we don't like it. There was an um, ancient writer named Xenophon who uh, was a soldier. He was in a, a war as a, as a mercenary, lost. Him and a bunch of other Greeks like, went, run, went retreating back to Greece and he wrote about all the interesting things he saw along the way. And there was this one group called the Turret People. The Turret People lived in turrets in the trees, no joke. And they had a king whose word was law. And he would sit on this high scaffold. Whatever he said was law. But if the king said something that the people didn't like, they would refuse to feed him. They would refuse to bring food up there. They would just starve him and put a new king up there. Right? That's kind of our approach to the authority of the church. Yes, authority of the church, until it says something I don't like. I, I'm not talking about something unbiblical, but something that you simply don't, don't think is, 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 is to your liking, right? Like, we don't want to abide by it. There is a, a very real possibility. I hope not. But on the day that we particularize, you guys, the members of the church, the voting members, are empowered with Christ's authority. You have to say that I can be the pastor of this church, if, if the, the, the membership, oh, don't get any ideas. I see some ideas. Hmm. <laughs> right? But let's say, for hypotheticals, that it was like, no, nah, we think someone else is being called to master the church. Right? I have to abide by that. That is the authority to which I'm submitted. And also, to receive the teaching. Following, like, Jesus is coming back is, is to obey the authority of Christ in the church, but it's also to receive the teaching. And this can be tough because, and this, this is the part where I upset everybody, it's part of the job. Uh, you know, I, 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 
dare say that for many, many people who follow Jesus, we actually have a higher commitment than the teaching of the gospel. That often we are more committed to our social and political beliefs than we are to the scripture. You see this all over the place, right? Like, like my progressive friends, I know that you're here and listening. That's okay. It's okay to be a Christian progressive. It's a good thing. But, you know, when the Bible says things about how you look at Jesus, look at how he just accepted and loved everybody no matter what. It's like, boom, word of God. Yes, accept everybody. Solid application. But when we get to, hey, you know what? Gender and sexuality is actually part of the creational structure of God's intent for the world. It's like, well, you know, that's really just a bunch of ancient people's opinions, and they're just putting their outdated prejudices in there. Oh, so when, when the, the Bible comes up against your higher commitment of progressivism, too bad for the Bible. Conservatives are not exempt. I know you're hoping you would be. You'd say the proverb, if you don't work, you don't eat. That's in the Bible, folks. He who did not work, will, neither will he eat. Conservatives are like, yeah, get a job, <laughs> right? Word of God. But then that same Bible says that, you know, the righteous society must care for the poor, cannot let people starve, cannot let people go homeless and hungry. That that's an obligation of a society. Oh, and so is receiving refugees. And so is receiving the poor immigrant, even when it's not in your national interest. All of a sudden, that word of God comes up against the actual commitment to conservatism. And it's, well, I'm sure there's some cultural background that explains that stuff away. You know, you can't really apply that in today's world. You see, there's all kinds of ways that we avoid receiving the teaching of the gospel. And that is what, what Christ has entrusted the church to do. So if we're to follow like Jesus is coming back, we need to follow Christ's authority in the church and also to receive the teaching. I am not saying that whatever is taught from the pulpit, you must accept. Please compare what is preached with the word. If you have questions, uh, you know, desire for clarification, those who have emailed me, and ask for clarification, can tell you I am not brittle. I invite you to, to uh, discuss these things with me, all right? It's not what I'm saying. What I am saying is that when the scripture is accurately preached and applied, we, myself included, are bound to receive it. Not only if we're to, to take care of God's house like the owner's coming back, it's, it's a to lead like he's coming back, to follow like he's coming back. But then Paul spends a lot of time talking about judgment here, how justice is carried out. Right? That, 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 that word actually occurs several times in these five verses. And the reason is, is that we have this innate sense for justice, for fairness, and it, it needs to be put into godly channels. I mean, you don't have to teach anyone to rebel against injustice, okay? I, I, one time, so you guys should probably know this about me. I have a real problem with chocolate. No, no, seriously, it's totally problematic. Like, I, 
I have eaten chocolate that I got for people in the hospital. Like, it's not, it's not okay, okay? <laughs> like, like, when Sharon goes for, to Trader Joe's and, like, gets chocolate, the kids will be like, Mom, where can we hide this from Dad so he won't eat it? And she, oh, you hit a bar of chocolate, by the way? I found it yesterday. I know. I know. I should say I found it and I ate it because that's more accurate. Um, <laughs> so one time, it was, um, one time we were getting ready for like a Valentine's Day party. This was several years ago. And Sharon, ha- Sharon makes this like thing, she melts a bunch of like high-end chocolate and coats strawberries with it. <laughs> it's the jam. And she knows I love these things, right? And so before she's, like as she's making it, she's like, these are for guests. Do not eat any until the party starts. And even then, leave them for other people. Please, you savage. And, and so we're cleaning up the house and getting ready. And I, I look in the fridge. And th- I swear everything was dark except this plate of strawberry, <laughs> choc- chocolate-covered strawberries. It was, ah! I was like, oh, my gosh. I, it was, there was so many of them. I was like, if I took one, there's no way she'd notice but I mastered myself, and I shut the door and said, I win. And then, as I'm shutting the door, like, there appears on the counter this plate with two chocolate strawberries on it. And I was like, oh, this is clear what this is. She knows me so well. This is like, you know, when you take a, a sheep and offer it to the dragon so he doesn't eat the whole flock. I didn't think any more about it. I ate both strawberries. No joke. As I'm eating the last part, Sharon walks in and says, you didn't eat those chocolate strawberries on the counter, did you? I was like, why? (laughs) And she says, because Abraham, who was like five years old at the time, is cleaning the entire downstairs by himself because I told him he'd get two chocolate strawberries if he did. And I was like, no. Little homeboy walks in right then, literally right then. He's all dusty. Not really, but imagine. (laughs) He walks in. He looks at the counter and the empty plate where there's just like those green parts of the strawberry. And he says, where are my chocolate strawberries? He looks at his mom. And Sharon, you know, she, she has my back, so she says, your father ate them. <laughs> and little man looked up at me from under his little Justin Bieber bangs. <laughs> and in his eyes was the rage of injustice. And he just throws himself on the couch. He's like, that's not fair. I taught my son. I didn't need to teach him about injustice. That was my, yes, I was trying to teach him about justice. I meant to do all that. No, he, in his heart, it naturally comes out. That's not fair. I didn't get what I deserved, right? Like, we all have this burning sense of justice. Like, you know, a a few years ago, I feel like we were all trying to pretend like we're non-judgmental, judge not. That's everybody's favorite verse in the Bible. We've kind of gone the other way now, (laughs) right? Where we are, we are enamored with justice, and that's a good thing. We, it's a good thing to desire justice, but here's the problem, is that impulse for justice is twisted through the broken hearts that we have that are twisted by sin. So justice can come out in very damaging and ungodly ways. I mean, just look at, look at right now how, how there is 
it's considered righteous to rush past process and pass judgment on somebody, right? We also, we pass judgment on things that are none of our business at all. That's called gossip. You know, I, I'm not talking about national news stories. I'm talking about, oh, did you hear about this? Yes, I judged them in my heart. I've, I've condemned them in my heart. Guilt by accusation seems to be a favorite right now. Charges don't need to be proven. Let's pass judgment on this person before the facts are in. Also, we can overfocus on how we've been wronged and underfocus on how we've wronged others. Lots of justice pointed that way. We don't like it so much when it's pointed this way. And so Paul spends a lot of time talking about how we are to do judgment inside the church. Okay? Now, this is not going to be in order, so just track with me through the text. First of all, he says to avoid judgment when possible. When we look at verse 5, he says, Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness, and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Now, we can misread that and say, Paul is saying, don't judge ever. But if you read the rest of the of 1 Corinthians, right? Remember, Paul wrote these as a unit. Uh, if you read the rest of 1 Corinthians, he is telling them judgments they must make over certain situations inside the church. It's not that Paul is saying that judgment inside the church should never happen. He's saying to avoid it when possible, right? Second, to avoid or, or to judge others cautiously. In verses 2 and 3, he says, Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found faithful. That found is language for the verdict. The verdict on a steward is that they must be faithful. But with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself. He's counseling caution in judgment, not liberality. His whole point about Jesus coming back is not that Jesus is coming back without judgment, but with it. All of our judgments, official and unofficial, are subject to review. Each of our judgments are going to be reviewed by the judge who actually knows. And so we need to be exceedingly cautious about passing judgment on others. And also, we see we need to judge ourselves very carefully. In verse 4, he says, I'm not aware of anything against myself. Okay, so Paul is saying, I've got a clear conscience. And we could trust Paul, knowing him. He, he didn't watch TV or anything. He had time to do this. Is, is he is, through great introspection and prayer, saying, I'm not aware of anything that I've done, but I am not thereby acquitted. It is the Lord who judges me. Conscience isn't king, you see? All, of the, all judgments, including the judgment on yourself, not the condemnation, but your acquittal of yourself is also subject to review. And we want to be very careful here because Paul isn't talking particularly about church governance. He's talking about the way that they are judging him to be an unworthy pastor compared to Apollos because Paul's not as good of a speaker as, as Apollos, right? But it's, it nevertheless applies. We are still to judge like Jesus is coming back 
to avoid unnecessary judgment. Look, you, you hear about, oh, did you hear about this pastor at this church over here? Are you working that case? Are you required to vote on the, on, on the culpability of that person? No. Avoid that judgment. And, and this goes for the news too. Like, we just love passing judgment as a society, don't we? Now, there are some instances where it's unavoidable. All of you guys had to nominate our governors. That's passing judgment on someone. That's saying, I believe God has called this person to, to ministry or office or whatever. Um, likewise, when you're evaluating a political candidate, you've got to judge which, which one your vote is going to go to. Right? There, are, there are instances where you are required to judge, but there are most, most of the times we pass judgment. I might add that when we are required to pass judgment, we often punt. <laughs> and we will pass judgment when there's no consequence to us, and it just kind of feels good to mentally kick someone, right? Avoid that, and then also to, to judge others cautiously. Like, a, a lot of the time, we just go with our gut, snap judgment. She was rude to me. I'm not going to nominate her for, as a deaconess, right? Like, like second-guess your judgments of other people. We need to be exceedingly cautious in judging and evaluating someone else. And also, judging ourselves carefully. Have you ever been in a conflict with someone, and your knee-jerk reaction is to blame shift? Well, they're saying I did this. That's nonsense, because it's because they did this that I did that. Right? We've, we've, got, we've got all kinds of tools in the belt to justify ourselves. But what, where, if we are to judge, there's ghosts. It's okay. Guys, just a few ghosts. Oh, that's the wind. <laughs> if we are to, to judge like Jesus is coming back, it's to look at ourselves very carefully to say, what, what responsibility do I bear in this? And even if I don't see any, to not take that as final. Now, there is a... Paul wraps this whole thing up. This run God's house like the, like the owner's coming back with an encouragement at the end. I don't know, you guys have probably read it, but look at verse 5. He says all these things. He comes, he brings to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Then each one, each individual, will receive his commendation from God. Commendation means the praise, the well done. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. As I was, as I was working through this passage... It felt a little wrong that that was the motivation. Now, what he's not saying is that you'll be saved. That's not what commendation means. Salvation is by grace, period, and end of story. He's also not saying God will love you more. Uh, for goodness sake, we, we see in the, all through the scriptures that while we were still sinners, God loved us. All right, God loves you because you're his child, also period, end of the story. There's nothing you could do to increase that. But what the motivation is is that on the day that Jesus does return, that you will hear a well-done commendation. And, and, and like, Jesus isn't shy about this. Like, there are multiple times Jesus is talking to people, trying to motivate them, persuade them to righteous behavior for the praise of God, that you're going to receive God's commendation. Think about what a big deal this is. I remember one time... Uh, when uh, uh, we, were, we were, you know, 
You guys know I was in a band, I said it earlier. But uh, one of my heroes, my musical heroes, came out on the road with us. Um, He was a a band called The Descendants. Anybody? Punk? Rock? No. (laughs) Where's Nick when I need him? (laughs) Uh, But The Descendants are, they were like hugely influential on me. One of my favorite all-time bands, like, and the the songwriter and drummer, the guy who kind of put it together musically, a guy named Bill Stevenson, he turned record producer, and he came out on the road with us to make a live album, his whole rig and everything. And so for four shows, I knew Bill Stevenson was watching and listening every single night. And I was super intimidated. He's a very easygoing guy, but I was super intimidated around him, right? And then after the last show that he was out with us, he, he kind of nonchalantly, I didn't ask him, this was unprompted, he said, man, you guys are really good. And I, I, you know, I, I was like, cool, I was like, thanks Bill Stevenson. <laughs> On the inside, I was a, I was a shrieking schoolgirl. I was like, oh my God, Bill is so good. And then he said, man, these are good tunes, who writes them? I was like, dude. He's like, these are really good. It's like my songwriting hero likes my songs. And then he's like, you know, you can really sing. You've got a good voice, man. And like, so we always got dogged by critics, like dogged hard, <laughs> but I don't care. You know why? My hero commended me. That's all I need. Bill Stevenson's opinion counts more than these other failed musicians who write articles <laughs> about your records. <laughs> but like, but Paul is asking us to envision that day. I don't, he doesn't go into detail. What is that? Like we all get FaceTime with Jesus? I don't know. But what he says is that he's coming back. The owner's coming back, and he's coming with his condemnation, his commendation, I'm sorry. Almost said condemnation. <laughs> commendation. It, I'm so glad there's a bike gang going by. <laughs> it's action-packed around here. Like, what do you want to hear that day? Do, do you want to conduct yourself in a way that that day you, you're going to hear, you know what, you stepped up to lead. You stepped up to lead, though no one thanked you. And you didn't even look for credit. You did it to serve my church. Well done. You followed leadership and decisions, even when you disagreed and maintained the peace and harmony of the church. Well done. You judged carefully and sought to honor me. The list goes on and on. Jesus is coming back with his commendation. Let's take care of God's house like the owner's returning. Please pray with me. Jesus, I pray that you would, uh, that you would bring to mind the day that, that we are going to meet you, when we are going to hear the commendation from your mouth on what we did here with your house. In Jesus' name, amen. We come now.